Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to a special guest episode of That Trippy Show. I could go on for hours on how the media is getting the whole thing wrong, and actually I have gone on for hours about that. Uh, you know, falling right into the right-wing outrage machine over and over, taking the bait and amplifying it. One person that keeps getting it right is Greg Sargent. We've had him on before, but on the last pod, Alex and I started getting into the long-term effects of some of President Biden's accomplishments. And Greg had a really smart piece in the Washington Post that we wanted to discuss. Greg, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Alex, where do you want to get started, buddy? Yeah, so Greg, as we were talking about pre-show and, and Joe and I talked about a little bit on our last pod was your piece last week really got us thinking. The title for everyone, and we'll include this in the show notes, was Biden's devious plan to break the MAGA fever just might work. And in it, you interviewed Mark Murrow, who was one of the authors of the Brookings study we get into, but the, the kind of intersection of what the Biden bills are doing and kind of the grievance politics that caused the rise of Trump. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it really is. I mean, if, if you were to run a controlled experiment in trying to address those grievances with federal policy, it would look a lot like what Biden's doing with his major achievements here. He's, uh, if you take the climate bill um, and some of the other stuff he's done, a ton of the spending is getting cranked into manufacturing jobs whether it's uh, green energy jobs or whether it's chip jobs, uh, which is to say, you know, quality high-tech manufacturing work, a lot of that's going to red states and districts. And so, you know, we've heard for many years now that the rise of Trump, to the degree that there's any economic component at all, and I admit that that's a disputed, and rightly so, disputed uh, uh, question, but if there's any kind of economic component to it, it's that a lot of people were disoriented and um, faced a kind of social emergency because of the economic changes of the last few decades. And so those manifested themselves by, with the superstar metros kind of pulling away from small town, rural and small metro America, which is something we talk about all the time. And so this is, potentially a big rebalancing of that. But does it, do you think it, like, one of the things that's happened, I think, is, you know, a lot of the, the bills that were passed last year, infrastructure, uh, even those re, uh, reducing, uh, you know, the, the, the cap on insulin, those kinds of things, they're just starting to really hit now. Yeah. Is this only just starting to play out politically, or even then, does it even have a hope of playing out politically, given the outrage machine that uh, that continues to, to play on open borders and all the other things out there. What's your take on that, Craig? Well, I mean, you know, I think you raise a good point. I, I, I don't think we know what the impact of this is going to be over the long term. But just to address the insulin thing, these are sort of different from that, right? Like, so when they expanded the child tax credit, a lot of that went to, to poor poor white Americans in red states and struggling families in those places. You know, but this is a bit different. This is an effort to really create a new kind of manufacturing economy in these places. And we've been told over and over that the loss of status for workers created by deindustrialization and the hollowing out of the heartland and so forth and so on is one of the things that caused the populist backlash. 
if that's true, then you'd think that this kind of level of spending to kind of recreate a, a manufacturing economy would blunt that backlash. But I think you're right to ask whether the information environment is so twisted and distorted and, and pathologically screwed up that it's really hard to tell how much of a difference that's going to make. And then, of course, lurking behind that is the question of whether it's even true that the rise of MAGA and populism and so forth is a backlash to that type of disempowerment of workers. I'm glad you went there, Greg. I, I know you, you you were tweeting about, I think uh, Paul Krugman quoted your piece in, in one of his things in the Times. and But his yeah. point was kind of that these kinds of, I don't want to call them subsidies because these bills are not subsidies, but these kinds of efforts to fund and kind of drag rural America out of kind of the rut have been around basically since the New Deal, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, how how could this be different? Well, so I, you know, if you subscribe to this theory of the case, and I just want to stress that the reason I keep saying this is an experiment is because we don't really know how true that is, right? That overall theory of Trumpism and that theory of MAGA and that theory of populist backlash. But to the degree that there's anything to it, one could say, okay, in the last 30 years or so, neoliberalism has kind of reversed some of the positive things that were done throughout the you know, three great decades of the middle 20th century, right? That's sort of the story we're told that it started in the 80s and accelerated in the 90s under presidents of both parties. And then with the financial crisis hitting it, it kind of exacerbated it all, and Trump was able to, quote unquote, get to Hillary's left on, on populist economics, we're told, uh, in 2016. And so the question becomes, if all of that's true, then will this do anything about it? Right. And the question, I, I think, is, you know, if you open a new chip assembly plant in a place like Taylor Greene's district, yeah. is that really enough to break the MAGA fever? But it, it sounded like Morrell thought it might. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a real booster of this type of policy, right? He's been talking about it for a very long time for Brookings. But as you know, probably better than anyone else, you don't have to break the MAGA fever. You just have to, like, cool it a degree. You know what I mean? Like, you have to shave a few, you know, a point off here and there, and, and it makes a big difference. Well, the point I've been making or trying to make in the last few podcasts and, and, and with, you know, is that... Is it even possible with policy when the, you know, when when the the kind of like the outrage machine of Fox News and uh, and everything keeps amplifying the negative, you know, the rage in your life, the resentment yeah. um, and, and then the the the, you know, the media um, unwittingly or winningly picks up that negative sentiment and feeds it on inflation, gas prices, the open borders, the whole thing. And, and that it just sort of overwhelms all the positive aspects of policy and these bills that Biden, in many cases, was able to get some bipartisan support to get them passed. It's clear to me that really good positive things that were passed last year, uh, including CHIPS Act, et cetera, are only now really starting to blossom or grow the shoots, right? And, and yeah. will it be enough to over... I mean, the media apparatus that keeps hammering I mean, it's part part of the same reason his numbers were so low all last year is because no one was focused on what he was actually doing, 
but blaming him for everything that he was trying right. to fix. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you do, you've done some stuff with Simon Rosenberg, I yeah. think, right? Yeah, um, yep. absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've always found his concept of like, uh, I guess he calls it negative sentiment, right? Yes. He, he, I think his, his, his conception of this is that the kind of drumbeat of noise that you're talking about, which comes from the right, like this kind of constant drumbeat, you, you, you might notice that like whenever they have some new kind of invented scandal, every single one of them says it on Twitter and on Fox and in every possible um, forum, right? Like whether it's uh, Biden sending baby food to migrant babies or whatever, right? They just all repeat it. And it's almost like the details don't matter. It's like the negative noise and the gravitational pull that kind of exerts on the quote unquote MSM, which says, oh, well, a lot of people seem to be upset about this. Maybe there's something there we better talk about. Right. And and so I think that's true that that we don't really understand that phenomenon very well. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, MAGA, the authoritarians, Fox News, Fox News in the cult right out, you know, their outrage machine, they thrive on driving negative sentiment. I, I totally right. agree with Simon on this. It's the negative yeah. sentiment, the fear and the anger um, that they that they keep you know injecting into the narrative. But then you have, you know, particularly in the in, in the sort of social networks world we're in. But then then you have the media's the media is biased, and it's biased towards negative sentiment, fear, and anger as well. Yeah, right, because right. that's like you know, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, it, that's what. So if you've got this machine, this outrage machine, that's like injecting even more negative sentiment, fear, and anger into that into the media's natural bias to pick it up. Um, that's a really a massive problem in a democracy when when media outlets then pick up and amplify that negative sentiment and, and, and fail to counter yeah. with truth and, and they either underreport or fail to report positive reality, which I think gets back to all this this the real um, impactful things that the Biden uh, you know the Biden administration, has has gotten past and are really starting to impact people's lives. There's got to be some there's there you know in a world where you, the outrage machine is driving negative sentiment and the and the media is picking it up uh, and echoing it. There's no wonder that everybody thinks the country's headed in the wrong direction. That that yeah. you know Biden's approval numbers, although they're coming up, have been you know were knocked down. Um, and and will there and and there needs to be you know some some media to use Simon's words we need to get loud right and start to to uh, put positive sentiment and the truth into taking this stuff on yeah I mean it's I think it, the, the noise level is an important thing I I often think about what Mallory McMorrow who's a state senator from uh, Michigan did uh, last year remember she was called a groomer by one of the Republicans there. And she kind of went out there and just like absolutely tore that Republican to pieces. And it went viral. It's an amazing takedown. But the key wasn't just that she was hitting back. It was also that she was standing up for a set of values and, and saying what she stood for, right? She was saying, here's what we represent as Democrats. They're just full of shit, right? And, and so the key was like not just being forceful, but also articulating 
a real set of principles that people could both see fight behind, right? And also really contrast in a real way with what Republicans are doing, the kind of relentless cruelty and hunting of enemies around every corner and so forth and so on. So the noise level seems key. It's just, you have to, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question whether that's positive or negative or neither, what she did, right? Um, it's, it's kind of positive in the end, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I think so. I know, I think it's definitely positive. I also think it's like one of the things that Joe Biden does is, is kind of silently project that contrast. It's that steady, confident leadership versus the chaos of Trump. You know, it barely worked in 2020. I mean, it's just enough to get to, to win. It, I think it was that contrast, particularly with the mega cult candidates that were like nominated just about everywhere, that that contrast, you know, helped to stop the big red wave, the spooky big red wave from coming in 2020. Um, yeah. And it, and I that's what's interesting about this, because I think given the House and how crazy it's going to be with McCarthy and, and you know, it's mega controlled and, and, and you know, he's. He's just a speaker in name only while, while you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and the crazies run the place. Um, I think that contrast is going to be out there big time uh, sure. between, you know, what Biden and the Democrats were doing is they do more work. But the other thing that's different is last year, look, there really was inflation. There really were supply chain problems. Anybody who was going to be president at that time. Um, the opposition would have been tearing into them. It was all their fault. Um, but there was a reality to how people were feeling out there in their in their lives. I think that's, you know, we're talking like 18 months from now. I, inflation is going down. And I think it's going to continue to go down. The jobs uh, that were created, I mean, more jobs than than the last three Republican presidents combined. I don't see that changing. It's obviously slowing, but it's there. So a lot of the things that were dragging Biden and the Democrats and pro-democracy uh, forces sort of down, keeping, you know, keeping it close um, because of the real problems out there, those that weight, I think, is going to lift. I, I think a lot of the things you're talking about, the CHIPS Act, um, infrastructure, the jobs that are going to be created in red states take hold and, and grow. I think that's going to lift the positive side of the of that contrast, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah, and I don't yeah. see the negative side. I mean, I don't see the mean-spirited, ugly chaos driving, and particularly with debt ceiling and everything else. The one thing that they're doing is they don't want it. They don't want Biden to succeed. They don't want everything to get better. That's bad for the MAGA crowd. They they want things to get worse, and and they're going to make them worse, um, even That's if it means cool. they are the ones that cause the recession that they've been screaming about that's coming supposedly. So yeah. uh, you know it's crazy. I mean, I think MAGA is very heavily devoted to destruction, right? Um, if you listen, I don't know how much time you spend listening to someone like Steve Bannon's podcast. But uh, as little as I can, as <laughs> I can get away with. Yeah. But I mean, it, and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who goes on there from time to time, it's very hard to miss the, the degree to which they're, they really want to bring it all crashing down. I, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is sort of a, taking a bit of a different route cozying up to, to uh, McCarthy and so forth. 
Um, so I don't know, it's, it's a little hard to, one of the things that makes this all very complicated is that this type of far-right populism has many different kinds of guises, you know? There's the straight up MAGA destructiveness, the, the, the full-on insurrectionary uh, dimension to it. And then there's sort of the more kind of understandable populist set of sentiments, which are, which really are a little more economic in nature and are, are maybe grounded in anxieties about immigration, but not ones that are motivated by racism, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. No, um, it does. You know, and, and so it's, it's, they seem kind of fractured right now is my sense of it. But I totally agree that generally speaking, at least we have to hope that that this amount of, you know, investment with plant after plant opening up and sort of showing that, oh, look at this green job. This isn't about like deliberately putting a coal miner out of business. It's it's about the manufacturing jobs of the future. And that's all positive sentiment, right? I mean, that's what, to me, what was one of the interesting things that Mark Murrow said in our interview, which is that you look at some of these products and, and, and there's like a nationalist component to being part of this kind of national project of reorienting the economy towards a, a, a green future, toward the manufacturing jobs of the future. That's all positive stuff. And we got to hope that that kind of counterbalances the negativity that we're going to get. I mean, DeSantis is going to, has his own variety of it, right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I think it's sort of interesting. He may have miscalculated a bit, like, overread the kind of power of, of the, the MAGA hate message, you know, and maybe aligned himself a little bit too much with it. But I think that remains to be seen. When he really started his crusades, when he started shipping migrants to, to different places to sort of own the libs or whatever, it was at a moment where it looked like MAGA was going to be kind of smashingly triumphant in the midterms, right? Uh, it looked like that sort of Carrie Lake was going to win, despite essentially telling reporters that she was going to put them all in education, re-education gulags as governor. If you remember that quote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, and Katie Hobbs, someone like Katie Hobbs just said, I'm not talking to you. And it looked like she, <laughs> it looked like Katie Hobbs wasn't going to be able to win that way. And that, that no amount of MAGA derangement would be enough to hold candidates like Lake back, right? But, and that's, that's this context in which DeSantis really started rolling out his attacks on wokeness and Disney. But as you pointed out earlier, that stuff was really it repudiated in a big way. That politics was repudiated everywhere. Of course, DeSantis was overwhelmingly reelected, which is a big complication for Democrats. And I think you guys have to figure that out why that happened and what to do about that. But it seems that type of politics didn't get anywhere outside of Florida, really. I know. Look, and, I think both Abbott and, and DeSantis have been taking this line on purpose uh, and, and Republicans. I mean, I, I think yeah. what, what, what it is, is um, basically, hey, if uh, you hate all these people that we hate, that, we're, that, that I'm, I'm taking on, uh, come here, come here, move to Florida. And right, by the way, right, right. if you love yeah. all the people I hate, maybe, maybe you want to leave Florida. Maybe yeah. you want to leave right. Texas. Now, that 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 strategy of immigration of MAGA hats and and getting 
progressives to say, screw this, I'm going somewhere else, um, I think is actually a strategy that both of them and the mega cult writ large like applaud and want to want to create, which, by the way, makes the Electoral College pretty tough. I do think that so. So one, I think you're right about first he starts off doing that. Then he realizes, wow, I could you know go national with this. And I think you're right that it may be it may work right now in Florida to lock in Florida as a red state. But I think nationally it was repudiated anywhere there were competitive districts, for, for the most part, uh, or competitive states. People rejected um, this mega extremism that, he, you know, yeah. that he's playing on. And you, you could probably speak to this better than I can as a strategist, but I thought it was hugely significant that Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada, all of which were really on a knife's edge, right, were... were um, tipped into the Democratic camp in Nevada by a very close march, in Georgia too, uh, Arizona not so much, but tipped into the Democratic camp after, in the in the face of that kind of MAGA extremism. I mean, Blake Masters, the, the Arizona Senate candidate, was like essentially fabricated in a MAGA lab somewhere. Right. You know? Right. So it was LaShawn. Yeah, absolutely. He'll have it, you know, buried in some mountain somewhere where he's making these MAGA candidates that, that are, you know, going to make the, the world safe for MAGA, whatever type of quote unquote libertarianism he thinks he stands for. Greg, if you look at in those states you mentioned, the kind of margins yeah. were so thin. So, but the kind of key blocks that Democrats won with especially in Nevada and Arizona, Democrats won by like 30, 35 points with Latinos. They won with yeah. youth voters by huge, huge margins. Those are kind of the exact people that, to your point earlier, DeSantis is saying, if you, if you don't like it, you can just leave, right? right. If, if, if you want the all-star game and you don't care about the Disney stuff, like just leave. Yeah. And, you know, just to add to that point, I think DeSantis's, the impressions of DeSantis's strength are inflated by the fact that he benefits from perceptions that he's shifting Latinos in a big way, but that's highly geographically specific, as as you guys know. Yeah, it is. That's Florida, not not West and Southwest. So I I, I think that's right. I'm one of those who doesn't think DeSantis is going to be their nominee. And actually, I don't really think it matters because I keep saying this. Okay, okay, for those of who think it's going to be Trump, okay, fine. You know that Trump can't be beat. Uh, I think I'm one of those if he goes. I would put it this way, too, though. Okay, DeSantis somehow vanquishes Trump, Donald Trump in primaries and wins the nomination. And, and I've, I've said this on the last three pods, so people are going to get tired of hearing it. But that will be the moment when Donald Trump gets really gracious and goes out, holds the DeSantis hands in the air at the convention and say, <laughs> it urges all the MAGA hats out there to support him. Um, yeah. He didn't steal it from me. Uh, he's not a traitor to making America great. I just think that yes. division is there in the chaos of the House that's going to re keep repeating itself throughout this the next 18 months, whether it's debt yeah. ceiling or things out. And again, in that contrast of what Biden's been able to accomplish, and I mean across the board, sort of personality-wise, yeah, he, you know, People, he's bored. What boring? He's not bold enough. Uh, you know what? I I actually think that all works right now. 
uh, with a lot of people. Not not necessarily with a yeah. lot of the progressives yeah. who want boldness, but I think it's working. And I think what you've pointed out, what Morrow pointed out about this real change that can happen in places like Ohio and Arizona in rural America in terms of what you know, what those factories opening up and providing good paying jobs in clean industries that take on that resentment of being left behind because there's one administration has actually done something and doing something about it. The combination of all that makes me pretty optimistic about 2024. If we can, as Simon Rosenberg says, get loud about what we're accomplishing and take on the way the media literally just rolls right into whatever the new outrage is, you know, uh, it's just amazing how, like you said, they started up in a couple of weeks later, people you never would would think would be falling for reporting the stuff or, yeah, hey, a lot of people are talking about this. It must be there must be a real problem. you know, and then of course, when gas prices right. do go down, the media is not out there banging every day that it's gone down again. It's gone down again. You know, inflation's going down. You get the you get the one day, the one day GDP report, right? You know, that's it. And even then, if it's GDP, it's GDP was two point nine. Amongst worries of a coming recession, you know, there's always that negative yeah. push to it. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And just to add to the sort of. The, the, the reasons for positivity. I mean, not to turn this whole discussion into a Simon Rosenberg love test, <laughs> but, uh, although he deserves. Well, there'll be test. one. There will be one guy who loves it, <laughs> loves his podcast. Then. Yeah, I'll bet <laughs> he probably will. Um, but um, he, you know, one point he's made a lot, and this kind of feeds into potential overreading of DeSantis' strength. The Southwest shift towards Democrats is is a major story. I'm still sort of shocked that the the MSM quote unquote MSM hasn't really done much on this, but uh, in, in all the border states, six of the, uh, in the four border states, six of the eight senators caucus with Democrats right now. I think three of them are governors. And then if you take like the four core Midwest, uh, uh, Southwestern states of Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, and uh, Colorado, they're, they're represented by eight senators who caucus with Democrats, if I'm right. Um, and that wasn't the case uh, for, you know, as, as recently as 2004, I think, didn't George W. Bush win all four of those? I think I'm pretty he did. sure. I think so, yeah. So that, right, so that plus, um, plus the shift of Georgia uh, seems to me to create a new electoral path, you know, electoral college route for, for, for Democrats, right? Um, and so, you know, between that and maybe starting to chip away at the at the blue collar white Republican drift in, in the Midwest due to some of this stuff we're talking about here. Overall, maybe it uh, maybe it adds up to something. Yeah, like I said, I think it's it's gonna take all of it. It's gonna take that contrast. It's gonna take their creating more chaos. It's gonna take people being sick of the chaos. Uh, it is gonna take taking on the the negative media bias. Democracy, there's not two sides. You're either for it or against it. I'm just astonished at how the media keeps covering those kinds of things. Both sides, that's built into how you cover the system. I understand that even though that's it's it doesn't work that way right now. We have a party that doesn't believe in democracy. I'm a big believer in two parties that do, uh, or having a country that has two parties that do, but we don't have that right now. 
And the way they keep reporting what, look, you're either for democracy or against it. The media should be um, calling out the enemies of democracy uh, as the real villains here. Watch what will happen on debt ceiling. It'll be the covered, like the Republicans want this, the Democrats want that. It's, you know, Washington sucks. Yeah. Well, no, it, it, sane Washington, always been a kind of a rebel outside of Washington guy, but, you know, sane Washington would not throw the country and the world into economic chaos over, uh, over spending we already, they, this Congress, the Congress, all Congresses have approved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't happen. Uh, now, having a, a, a debate in the next budget cycle, yeah, that should happen. But anyway, I'm just saying we can't just focus on the ballot box. You know, they didn't. Um, they, they focused on the ballot box, but they also focused on the courts. They focused on local legislatures more than, than progressives or Democrats did and pro-democracy did. And they focused a hell of a lot more on investing in this, in this media machine that just pumps out garbage and negative sentiment and fear and anger every single day. 24-7, that's the, it's a tremendous disadvantage Democrats face. I mean, they just don't have anything. We, to, we to never have. built it. And we, we kept thinking, well, the MSM will, they'll, they'll take that on. They're not going to, you know, that's why I think it's get loud. We've got to start investing in, in a counter, you know, all of us in countering uh, what they've built and at least starting somewhere. And I, there's a plenty of people out there, you know, with Resolute Square, which I'm helping and, and started with, with folks and Midas Touch, but we need all of them. Yeah, you know? we need to build them and people should get behind and support them and, and amplify, uh, amplify the truth and the pro-democracy media out there. Uh, you know, yeah, retweet, awesome. you know, look for it. You know, when, it ha when you get a piece out, you know, that's what I'm saying, people like me and, and Simon, if I don't agree with you, I call you out, but that's not too often. Usually I'm retweeting the hell out of what you're saying because, uh -huh. uh, no, but I'm, I mean that. I always appreciate it, man. No, but we need to start. We need to, as a, as a pro-democracy coalition, people have to pay more attention to that and get involved in doing it. That's all. That's yeah, it's not, it's not about party. It really is. It's a pro-democracy kind of, uh, a pro-democracy majority and an anti-MAGA majority. It's, it's not Democrats. That's not what it is. Right. It's it's more like, you know, liberal democracy advocates. Well, um, it's, it's a common you know. purpose. And one thing that's happening is that as this negative sentiment um, is being built, and I think they knew they were doing it, obviously, um, you start to unravel the threads of common purpose, of common citizen, of common, you, you know, agreement on anything. Um, and I think the way to, the, the one thread that's still left, hopefully, is the thread of believing in our democracy together and in a pro-democracy and building a pro-democracy coalition, even if that's the only thing we agree on. Yeah. And by the way, to tie a bunch of this together, um, I think you mentioned some of the state level investments that Republicans have made for a long time. Uh, Democrats in, in the 22, 2022 elections were able to recapture a bunch of ground on the state level. And in my view, they could be using that to make the kind of noise that you're talking about, right? I mean, some of these groups that are aligned with Chris Rufo and so forth and so on have national models where they try to get states to, red states to pass particular legislation, culture war legislation, 
in, in a way that models the type of you know, red state uh, cultural fortress that I think you brought up earlier. Um, you mentioned how they're almost like trying to wall out those who don't agree with their cultural vision and, and encourage kind of a diaspora to, <laughs> to the red states of people who do. It seems like in a place like Michigan, right, where Mallory Maparo made her big stand against uh, being called a groomer and stood up for a bunch of liberal values, you could see state legislatures and places like that. I mean, now that Democrats have ca captured total control in Michigan, presumably they'll be doing this type of legislation, but modeling a liberal cultural agenda for the country to compare to the conservative. Well, market. you just saw that in Illinois did with, with yeah. Governor, Governor Pritzker, uh, yeah. you know, signing an assault weapons ban. I, I know, I mean, things like that, 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 that the American people want, but it's never going to pass in Washington, but, but we could start to do that uh, right. or, or take on some of these issues. Yeah. I mean, there's some, I think, um, uh, Jeffrey Sachs, who, who covers a lot of this stuff, has talked about various legislation that could pass by a blue legislature that would protect teachers from this type of political meddling. Um, and right now we're seeing like this kind of incredibly deranged wave of anti-trans legislation everywhere. You know, Democrats and blue states could model an alternative that's not based in that sort of, you know, nonstop uh, pathology, you know, pathologizing of, of the enemy and enemy hunting all the time. It's just endlessly exhausting. They're just like trying to make everyone suspicious and hateful in, in, in every possible way they can. Well, I mean, that's what that's what these kind of movements count on. It's what and, and what a Steve Bannon and the, those they'll count on is exhausting everybody um, to the right. point, you know, with the chaos that, 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 you know, that, that it, it unravels. And, uh, um, of course they never have a real, <laughs> any real idea, uh, real ideas, sound ideas about what you would do when it does unravel. I mean, when the, when the, the burning down of the institutions that they crave, uh, actually were to occur, the absolute chaos, pain, death, I mean, just incredibly, horrid stuff that would happen to people uh, uh, that, that would probably be joining. I mean, it's just, it, it really is an ugly ideology with no end other than tearing things down, uh, with no real um, thought about what a real reform would look like or what a real fix would look like. It's just... Yeah. And it's interesting how you can see dissent is trying to package it in kind of positive uh, wrapping, right? When he talks about liberty and so forth. And I don't know, that doesn't seem like a kind of liberty that most Americans want. No, that's, I mean, you can put those words in there and it sounds great maybe, but the reality is, uh, that's what I meant about the horridness of it. The reality is yeah. far more pain than, than, than his followers could ever imagine that he would actually create if he did any of it. So we've got to address their media machine because in the end, I think that's what's so overpowering to keep sort of MAGA forces, the MAGA mo movement moving and in place and growing. You know, I mean, they they can they just keep keep the negative sentiment, keep the anger, keep the fear, keep the resentment uh, and come up with some new thing to make up tomorrow to keep them angry, resentful. No, again, even in the face, that's what I'm worried about is even in the face of these these factories, good paying green jobs of the future that's building a future for the country 
and in Red America, their ability to stoke fear, to make crap up even when it's not there, um, that I think we got to call out, call out loudly and make the case that there's a positive pro-democracy movement where we're together moving the country forward into the future. In the end, a lot of the problems we all have, that the world has, we literally, and I think this is one thing Biden is, I think, sort of in the view, we, we really are one of the few countries in the country that could lead to a better world um, if we can build those alliances and bring in the jobs and economy of the future and take on issues that, that if we don't start taking on together with as many other countries in the world are just going to get worse and have an even yeah. bigger impact on the health and future of our country. Well, I'll tell you a lot's riding on Russia. So yeah. we'll see what happens yeah. there with Russia. That's what I mean, he, you know, uh, people, but, and that's another place where Trump, uh, I don't know where DeSantis has been lately on Russia, but uh, be interesting because uh, we know where Tucker is. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, right. That is a good point. That's a good point. I, you know, DeSantis is kind of shrewd, right? I, I wonder whether he'll end up on that. Yeah. Well, guys, that's just about all the time we've got. Cool. Cool. Uh, so we didn't get to your listener questions again. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, Alex was supposed to queue one up, but again, you know, Alex does have, he loses, he loses focus on the questions. Anyway, <laughs> and I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thanks, Greg, for coming on. And thanks, yeah, everyone, thanks, for listening to that trippy show. We'll include a link to Greg's piece in the show notes. Uh, please subscribe to that trippy show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to that trippy show at gmail uh, at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. And, you know, Alex, what, what do you think about maybe on the next episode, which just readers questions so i think folks, we have enough we should yeah. do it yeah so folks get them in and uh you know w whether it's a special tuesday show or, or 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 our main friday show one of the next two shows we'll definitely do dedicate it to to readers questions so thanks a lot folks and we'll see you next week thanks again greg thanks thanks much guys